So over these last weeks, we've looked at uh, people like Esther, uh, Daniel, Noah, and today we come to uh, David, a man after God's own heart. What does it mean to say that someone is a man or a person after God's own heart? As we'll see, it certainly doesn't mean that they live a sinless life. Uh, David's life was far from that. But let's unpack some of that. With David, the account of David's life is, uh, is recorded for us, a narrative of his life in First and Second Samuel and First Chronicles. And there we find it. But with David, we get the added bonus. He's a writer of so many of the Psalms. And so we get the emotion behind his life as well. You could say that David was the original snag, you know, sensitive new age guy. 3,000 years ago, way before fellas shared their feelings, we get David's feelings. There's no doubt about how he felt about life and about uh, his pain. We get the exhilaration of his times right there in the presence of God, his celebration, knowing God present, intimacy with God. God was his rock and his redeemer and his fortress. God was his shepherd. He wanted nothing else. He needed nothing else. And then we get the pits of David's life, the despair, the anxiety, the pain. With David, we get both the narrative and the emotion. So what can we learn from David's life? Well, obviously a lot. As Ken has said, this is a big character. Can you believe it? There are 944 verses of Scripture that mention the name Jesus. There are 928 verses of Scripture that mention the name David. And that's even without all the Psalms, obviously written by David, but verses not including David, the name David. There is just so much. Now, if I don't pick up some of your lessons, your favourite lessons out of the life of David this morning, too bad. <laughs> we'll come to it another time. There is just so much. There is just so much. But what can we, what can we pick up from David's life? Well, the first one is that God works in the lives of ordinary people. And as I said, David was certainly very ordinary. When um, God said to the prophet Samuel, I want you to go and anoint the next king of Israel, David heads out to Jesse's place. And here's the lineup of sons of Jesse. What do we know? David's missing. Not even included by his father in the lineup of his sons. So David inquires of the Lord, the man I want is not here. So they send for David. Had to go and get him out looking after the sheep. Almost insignificant. Left right out of his own family situation. And then he was obviously despised, certainly by one of his brothers. So when the Philistines were, were fighting, uh, the Israelites, remember, Jesse called um, David and he said, Son, you know, I want you to take these supplies down to your brothers. They're fighting down there at the camp. So he gets down to the camp, and what do we know? His older brother Eliab says, what are you doing here? There's no place for you. Get out of here. You know, this is men's business here. You want to go back to what you're best at, looking after the sheep. An insignificant, left-out man, and yet God had a plan and a purpose for him. And we read that after Samuel anointed David as a future king, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And we know well the account of his courage as he took on the might of, uh, of Goliath and in that victory. But I want to ask the question right here at the start. Are there things in your own life 
that come out of family background. Maybe you've felt insignificant. Maybe you're sitting here today and thinking, how can the Lord use me? Even in my own family situation, I've felt a little bit undervalued. I've never been one that uh, has been kind of promoted in the family as being a future leader. Never been thought of as someone that can take a lead and achieve great things. I don't know what's going through your heart and what your own upbringing has been, but today the lesson from the life of David is no one is significant. There is no such thing as insignificance in God's economy. We're all created in the image of God. And so if you're wrestling with some of those problems today, God wants to say to you, I've got a plan, I've got a purpose for your life and my spirit is going to fill you and you're going to be used and I want you to do great things for me. The second thing that we learn from the life of David is that God works in the lives of people who are worried, anxious and make poor decisions. We often think that God is going to only work in the lives of the confident. But we see in David's life the situation where he had defeated Goliath. He'd been anointed as a future king and you're inclined to think, well, this is a bit like a fairy tale. You know, everyone's going to live happily ever after. You know, he's riding on the success of that victory. And yet we know that pretty soon after, David is running for his life. He lost faith in God's ability to look after him and to protect him. And rather than, rather than reflecting on the fact that God had said to him, you are set apart to be the next king of Israel, when Saul came after him, he took off. Now, mind you, if you had a couple of javelins pegged at you, you probably would take off, you know, Saul in a fit of rage, throwing javelins. But David started to operate in a different way. Up until that time in his life, we read so often that David inquired of the Lord. Scripture after scripture says, and David inquired of the Lord, and David inquired of the Lord. And now we get to a part of David's life where we read these words, and David said in his own heart. And David said in his own heart. And what follows is a very sad series of events in David's life because he made some poor decisions based on his fear and based on his anxiety, and he went off to live. Can you believe it? He went and lived amongst the Philistines. That's Goliath's mob. So several years ago, he'd knocked off Goliath, and now he's fleeing from Saul and going a living amongst the Philistine people. Then we obviously know he went to hide in a cave, again running for his life, and yet was this the life that the anointed king, the one that God had set apart, is this the life that he was lent, meant to be leading? And his poor decisions we know affected not just himself, but they affected many others. For example, he went to Ahimelech, the priest of Nob. And Ahimelech said, what are you doing here, David? Where are all your men? And David said, oh, I'm on a secret mission from Saul. He lied to him. And then Saul found out where he was because one of Saul's servants, a bloke called Doeg, was there and he saw David and he knew that Saul was after him. And David had fled off somewhere else by the time Saul came looking for him. But we know that 85 priests in that territory were slaughtered. So David's fear and David's failure and David's fleeing actually engaged others in the process. And that's the account of his life. 
But how about the emotion? What's this sensitive new age guy telling us as we read the Psalms? Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words we know well. Jesus repeated those on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Have you ever felt like that in your relationship with God? You know God's got a plan and a purpose for you, but there's something going on. There's a fear and there's an anxiety. And in many ways, God feels a long way away. God feels removed. Perhaps you've um, responded to the call of God to do things in a certain way and you've played what you um, believe is your part in that, but God doesn't seem to have kept up his part of the agreement or the bargain, so to speak. You can't see God in the process of that. David's anxiety, David's worry and David's poor choices didn't stop God from using him or dealing with him. And the same is true for each of us today. We might not be able to see God in the midst of the anxiety in our own lives, but God is there. We just need to keep looking for him. And then God works in the lives of sinful people. Let's fast forward a little in David's life. Here was David now at the pinnacle of his success. He'd taken over all the territory, captured all the land that God had promised to him to inhabit and to possess. He was the undisputed king. Saul was gone. The enemy had been driven out. And as we know, David reflected, wrote some beautiful psalms at this at this time, God was his rock and his fortress and his deliverer, his shepherd. He wanted for nothing else. And as the proverb said, says pride comes before a fall because David was at the height of his kingdom. The height of his kingdom. And pride comes before a fall for each of us. And when we sometimes think that we've got it all together and our life is all together, and we slacken off in our disciplines of spending time with God, what happens is it's an easy slide for us. And that's what happened to David because one day he looked out his window and he saw Bathsheba, a beautiful woman bathing. And we know the rest of the story. He called for her. He slept with her. And then Bathsheba found out that she was pregnant and that presented a problem for David because Bathsheba's husband Uriah had been out at war fighting on behalf of the king for months. So he obviously wasn't the father. So David starts to dig a deeper hole. So he calls for Uriah to come back from the battle. Tells Uriah he should go home and spend some time with his wife. He doesn't do that because Uriah is so devoted to the king that he decides, Uriah decides to sleep right there at the king's door, along with his servants. So David continues to big, dig a deeper hole for himself. So he sends Uriah back out to battle and he sends word to Joab, his commander, and he says, Joab, when you're engaged, I want you to put Uriah on the front line and when you're engaged in the battle, 
I want you to order all the other men to pull back and just to leave Uriah there facing the enemy. And we know the result. Here's Uriah killed. How the mighty have fallen. A man who'd taken possession of everything God had for him at the pinnacle of his role as the king of Israel at his lowest. And he was in inner turmoil. We want to know how he felt. You can reflect on Psalm 32. David talking about how it felt when he did not or had not yet confessed his sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That was David's experience for months and months as he hardened his heart, refused to acknowledge and confess his sin. It gnawed away at him. And that's your experience and my experience, isn't it too? I know that well in my own life when I want to ignore my sin, when I walk away from that, when I don't acknowledge that, when I don't confess that, there is something that goes on inside here as God keeps convicting and convincing me of my sin, when I look at that in the light of a righteous and holy God, it's like God's heavy hand is upon me, his hand of calling me to repentance. And so David had this battle deep within until he was faced with a story from the prophet Nathan. And Nathan told him a little story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle, to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and he pre prepared it for the one who had come to him. And David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are that man. What a confrontation. What a confrontation. It's interesting, isn't it, that like David, we can so often see the sin in another person's life so quickly. And it, and it requires someone else to point the sin out in our own lives. For example, you know, other people lose their temper, but we have righteous indignation you know other people are total jerks all the time but we're just having a bad day you know, other people are really critical but we just tell the truth with love or in love other people are pushy and we can be goal-oriented and we can so often look at the faults and the failures in someone else's life and ignore what's happening in our own. And that's what it was like for David as he looked and as he, he heard about this man 
in that story. And so often we need to be prepared to face our own sin. Not to discuss someone else's shortcomings, someone else's failures, but our own. And we can learn so much from David. Because confronted with this, we can see David's heart. Is it any wonder that God said, he's a man after my own heart? Because what follows, I think, is the most beautiful of all Psalms. Psalm 51. And we see here the humility of the most powerful man in all Israel. I mean, this is the man who held the highest office. The highest office in the whole land. Recognising that there's one other power. One other power to whom he is accountable and responsible. And so what follows on our screen is just some excerpts of Psalm 51. What a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. What a heartfelt response from David. And friends, what a privilege it is that you and I have a God who is merciful, a God who is forgiving, as we also bring our prayers and our confessions to God. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the cross. Thank God for the fact that you and I can have full and free access right into God's presence. There's another lesson for us from the life of David and Bathsheba in all of this. David's trouble didn't start when he looked out the window and saw Bathsheba bathing, although it obviously didn't help the matter. David's trouble and David's problem started about 20 years earlier because we read that after David left Hebron, when he came to Jerusalem, he took more concubines and wives. And that was a direct violation of God's command to any king of Israel. Deuteronomy 17 said that the king would not accumulate horses or silver or wives. And David did pretty well on the horses. We read so many of the, um, of the accounts of his, uh, of his victories in battle when he hamstrung the horses and he let them go. It sounds an awful thing to do to horses, but he didn't accumulate the horses. He didn't take them into his army. He let them go. And we read the account after account of David taking the silver and the gold and bring it into the Lord's treasury. But he obviously had a problem with the accumulation of women. And it's something that started 20 years before he looked out the window and he saw Bathsheba. 
And as that great casting crown song says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to grey and thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Friends, this morning, is there something that you and I have compromised in our spiritual journey? Is there a slow fade going on for us? Is there something that we need to confess? Is there some bitterness that we're holding on to? Is there something that has taken the place of of God in our lives? Because it's time to restore God to his rightful situation. It's the time to take those things that are seeing us slowly fade in our relationship with God and confess them and to put them right. And I invite you to do that even while I continue to talk this morning. But David's sin didn't even stop God using him. Although sin always brings heavy consequences. And I won't go into all of David's because they are numerous. But just very quickly, the baby conceived by Bathsheba died. David's son, Absalom, slept with one of David's concubines in broad daylight, fulfilling one of the prophecies about that. The sexual sins of his family continued as one of David's sons raped his sister. The sword never departed from the the family of David. Chapter 21 records war after war, battle after battle. And David's family was a total mess. The relationships of David's family were a total mess. The consequences of our sin need to be lived through, but the grace of God is that our sin is forgiven. And finally, God is at the work in heart, or God is at work in hearts that are soft and open to his purpose. Right at rock bottom, right in his despair. God kept on drawing David back to himself. That's the wonderful thing about our God. His spirit continues to strive with us and to call us home. And we read this in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David found strength in the Lord. David found his encouragement in the Lord. There it is. It's simple, isn't it? To find his encouragement in the Lord meant he had to spend time in the presence of God. And that's the great thing for us that we can take away today. God is the God of new beginnings. God, our, the God, our God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. God never washes his hands of us. And in spite of all David's faults, he was a measuring standard for all the kings of Israel. They either had a heart like David's or they didn't have a heart like David's. And that passage that um, Kerry read, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That's what it means to have a heart after God's own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What does God want him to do? How can our heart mirror the heart of David? How can our heart mirror the heart of our our Father God? Well, We need to align our hearts with him. First thing is to keep our hearts pure and in tune with our Saviour, with our Lord. David wrote, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Keep our hearts in tune with God, coming into the presence of Jesus, 
each day. His Spirit lives within us. For those who have taken hold of a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's Spirit lives within us. And we are urged in the wonderful verse of uh, Hebrews or verses of Hebrews, because we have confidence to enter the holy place because of the shed blood of Jesus, because of the cross, we can come with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Friends, if you're sitting here today and you haven't yet developed a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're walking around with a whole heap of guilt and a whole lot of other stuff hanging in your life, hanging around you, can I invite you today simply to take hold of Jesus. God's got a wonderful plan and a purpose for your life. That's what the cross was all about. Your guilt can be taken away. Your sin can be atoned for. What does that mean? That can be made right, washed away, cleansed. We can come into the presence of God, a new creation. And if you haven't done that, the lesson from the life of David is that nothing separates us from God. God has a plan. God has a purpose for us. He wants us to come through Jesus boldly into his presence. If you're wanting to speak to someone after the service today, Ken or Luke or myself or any of our prayer team would love to chat with you about that. And then we can align our hearts by seeking God's wisdom for everyday living. And the importance of doing that is in 2 Samuel 5, 17 to 25. I'm not going to read that for the sake of time, but this is pretty much an account. You know, there was a local derby going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. They were fighting each other again. And so in the first encounter, the Philistines came up and David inquired of the Lord. He said, Lord, what should I do? Should I go and attack or should I wait? And the Lord says to David, go out and attack. Now's the time. They're coming towards you. Go and attack. Take them by surprise. So David did that and had the victory. A very short time later, Philistines come at him again. And David says, David inquires of the Lord, the scriptures tell us. And um, the Lord says to David, no, don't go. Don't go. Just hang about. Hang about. And then you'll see some movement in the trees. And when you see the movement in the trees, you'll know my spirit's gone before you. That's the time to go out and attack. The same enemy, the same type of battle, and two different strategies. Had David not listened to God, had David not sought his wisdom for everyday living, the result for him would have been disastrous. And that's the same for us. The battle we face today is going to be different to the battle we face tomorrow. And that's why we need to keep coming to God to say, what's your wisdom in this? I've got this issue, Lord. What's your strategy for this? What do you want me to do? The amazing fact is that God, our creator, has his wisdom and his discernment available to us. We just need to avail ourselves of God's guidance. And when we do that, our lives will bear fruit, our church will bear fruit, our different ministries will bear fruit, and we will be able to pray at the end of that, like David, who am I? O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is our church that you have brought us this far? Let's pray together. 
Now, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the account of, of David's life, uh, so full. There's so much for us to learn out of a man after your heart. Father, we want to thank you that nothing separates us from you. Your scripture, your word tells us that. None of us are insignificant. We're all made in your image, Lord, and you call us deep into a relationship with you. Lord, even our anxiety and our worry and our poor choices don't separate us from you. And Father, we want to confess those to you today. The times we've stretched out on our own and we've um, made decisions without fully uh, listening to you and being patient to hear your answer. We, Father, we thank you that our sin doesn't separate us from you. That's why Jesus came. That's the wonder of the gospel. And, Father, we thank you for that. And, Father, we would ask that you would create within each one of us a real thirst, just a thirst to keep coming to you, to your word, to spend time in your presence, Father, so that our hearts might be truly aligned to be like you. Father, we can't think of any greater compliment, any greater word to be spoken over our lives than to say that we are people after your own heart. That's our desire, Lord. And Father, we ask that your spirit would continue to work in us, convicting and convincing us of our sin and, Lord, of your righteousness and the fact that because of Jesus, Father, we do not have to face a judgment about life or death. But, Father, we thank you for the new life that we have in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.